0: But we need to finish up our current message series, and we've been talking to you about postcards from God. And we started now a number of weeks ago. This is our seventh installment on this series, Postcards from God. We began in Second John, and uh, we just decided through the summer I wanted to spend a little time and just go sort of verse by verse or verses in a row, get some context Uh, get some greater understanding, maybe preach on a few topics that just never get touched on because they're in these obscure books. And so we just pulled out these uh, three books, 2nd and 3rd John, the book of Jude, very short letters, epistles that were written to churches in areas that these men were giving oversight to. And uh, we've just been taking topics as they've landed. It's amazing, though, how when you do things like that, the topic shows up just when you need it. And so, uh, again, we're just kind of taking it as it comes along. We'll be wrapping the book of Jude up this morning, and so we'll be wrapping up our whole message series. Next week, we'll be receiving new members, and there's some things I want to share in that area that will stand by itself. And so we're just going to conclude it all today. But what what a great verse we're going to work with this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can find the book of Jude. And I'm going to be reading in just a moment two verses, verse 20 and 21 in the book of Jude. You know, it's interesting in all of these books, uh, in fact, I'm not sure I was as cognizant of it as I needed to be when I began, but a lot of it had to deal with warning. That these apostles were sending these postcards out, very short, short writings, and they were warning these churches uh, about those that would seek to lead them in the wrong direction, uh, that they might seek to tear the people down by infecting them with wrong motives, a wrong spirit, or wrong doctrine. And uh, they they sent these postcards out in order that they might be aware of what was going on and that they would have the capacity to identify it and to be able to turn away from it. You know, I've often thought there's something to be said for the spiritual precept just say no. Now, I realize we we want to be positive, and and by and large, I believe we're a positive uh, teaching church. We're a positive confession. We believe in positive confession. So I know there's a lot of things we can say yes to. In fact, Paul would earlier write to the Corinthians. He would say that all the promises of God are yes and amen in him. But you know what? You'll go a long way in your Christian life if you'll just learn to say no. And if you'll say, nope, not for me. That's just not for me. And so ostensibly a lot of the writing here had to deal with them learning how to say no to things. But as we conclude, and last week was particularly challenging because he's dealing with these people, he says, that have given themselves over to perversion, sexual perversions especially. They've given themselves over to lawlessness. They did not understand authority. They could not put restraint on their mouths. They were in all sorts of trouble trying to infect the body and... To be candid with you last week as we were going over these passages and even as I was preaching I was saying to myself, "Oh, deliver me from this moment." Because when you're dealing with tough terrain, I mean that's not fun, that's not fun to deal with. Can you can can you understand that? I mean, when you're dealing with your kids or if you're a boss and you have employees, Or somehow or another, you have to deal with things that aren't pleasant. I mean, that's not on the top of most of our lists. I mean, we don't wake up in the morning and say, Hallelujah, I get to deal with something tough with this person. Most of us would rather avoid that. But in order to get the whole picture, you got to go through the tough terrain. So we went through some tough terrain last Sunday, but gratefully, we're at the place of conclusion. And Jude thankfully leaves them with something they can work with and something a whole lot more positive. So I want to read to you these verses. I've entitled our lesson this morning, Building Yourself Up. Jude, verse 20, this is what we read. It says, but you, beloved... Now, he's talked about all the destructive forces that have sought to creep into their lives, all the things that are wanting to tear them down. In verse 20, he says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying... In the Holy Spirit, you may want to just underline that phrase right there. He doesn't say just pray. He says pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves, verse 21, in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And again, we're going to just share for a few moments on what I entitled Building Yourself Up. Now, the Bible's clear from cover to cover that it's the Lord who wants to do a great work in his people. And it's even mentioned in the last great benediction. I've already brought this to your attention here in the book of Jude, verse 24. If you've never read it, just leap over to verse 24 real quick in the book of Jude. It says these words, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. We've already mentioned that already. And it says there clearly that God is able... Everyone say that with me so I know you have it. Just repeat after me. Say, God is able. One more time. God is able. Yes, He is. He is able to do absolutely anything. And here's the amazing thing is that this God lives in you. That's why the word also says greater is He that is in you than he that's in the world. That's why you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think according to the power that works in in you so all of this potential is inside of you and god is able but what we read here in verses 20 and 21 is that while god is able you have a part in that work god is able but you have a part in that work see life in the kingdom is not like life in america you know, life in America in these days, there's sort of a spirit that's running around that is just this sort of enablement mentality. You know, I don't want to do anything and everybody support me. I, I, I don't want to get up and go to work, support me. I don't want to get up and, and, and be profitable, just support me. And there's sort of this entitlement or enablement mentality where you get all the benefits, but you have no responsibility. That is not the kingdom. I can show you a dozen parables from Jesus' mouth alone where he describes certain aspects of the kingdom in the context of work. God is all about work. God is about you getting with the program because I have just found this to be true. God works with motion. You know how when you sit in your car and you try turning the steering wheel and you just can't do it? Now, Now, especially... And, and, of course, those of you that are younger only remember power steering. I remember back to the era where you could buy a car with no power steering. I know some of you can't even imagine that. But I can remember sitting in a vehicle with no power steering and you try to turn the wheel. I mean, it was, it was all you could do to turn that wheel with no power steering as that vehicle sat still in one place. But the minute that that vehicle had motion to it, you could begin to turn the steering wheel. Now, granted, without power steering, it wasn't quite as easy as it is today. But it was a whole lot easier with the car moving than it was standing still. That's a good analogy of how the kingdom works. It's hard to get pointed in the right direction. It's hard for God to do things in your life. It's hard for him to 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 move in you when you're not moving anywhere with him. And the truth is that Jude reminds us that there are certain things, listen, you must do yourself that activates the God is able. Are you following me? God is able, but He's not able. See, God's able to get you a job, but He ain't going to get you a job if you sleep till two in the afternoon every day. And then you get up, take another two hours to shower. And by that time, everybody else is getting off work and you can't do it. You understand God is able, but you got to get up first thing in the morning. You're, You're following me. God is able, but there are things you must do yourself. And he says a couple things here. He says, build yourself up. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. He says here in verse 21, keep yourselves. In the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So hear me. God is able. But you must build yourself up. God is able. But you must keep yourself. In the love of Christ. And these things are important. Especially within the context. That the era they were living in. Everything is being thrown at them. In order to tear them down. Take them out. And hinder them from victorious. Christian living I understand we don't live in the first century we have just by way of technology and inventions such a better lifestyle than these folks had but I can tell you this that no matter what era you live in there are forces dark forces that are seeking to tear you down to stop you to get you to give up quit throw in the towel quit doing that stuff and get you off focus and ultimately destroyed. So there's some things you're going to need to do. Now, one of the things he says to do is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that for just a minute. What does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? I personally believe there are three elements that probably can be encompassed in that whole statement, pray in the Holy Spirit. Number one, I believe that praying in the Holy Spirit means praying for those things that are prompted... By the Holy Spirit. There are times, I don't know if you've prayed. I hope you pray. For some of you, you've prayed enough to know that you feel prompted of the Lord to pray for certain things. Romans 8.15, post it, guys. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Now look at that preposition. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So the spirit of adoption prompted something in the heart of Paul, where he says, Abba, father, we cry out to God. We're prompted by the Holy spirit to cry out to God. You really don't know what to say. You just, you're prompted by him. And so you cry out. Have you ever been at a place in your life where this is the verse that references this, that, 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 Abba father, have you ever been to a place in your life where you're before the Lord and all you can get out is this, Oh God, am I the only one that's ever been there? I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. All I can say is, Oh God, Abba, Father, help me pray. I don't even know where to begin here. I'm going to need your help. And I believe praying in the Holy Spirit has as a component being prompted by Him. Number two, I believe praying in the Holy Spirit means praying for things beyond our vocabulary and understanding. That there are things that the Holy Spirit would like to pray, intercede through you with that's beyond your comprehension. Romans 8, 26, there's another interesting verse here. It says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, this particular type of prayer isn't... Like just a, a takeover. I mean, it's not like all of a sudden God just does this takeover. But rather, He takes part with us in those moments we're facing things we just cannot put into words. So here you are. You're, you're at the place where you go, Oh, God. I don't even know what to pray. Don't, don't know. And, and, but He may give you the words. But then there are those moments where what's going on is so deep, impactful, maybe painful stressful confusing it's difficult to even know god's will in it and he uses the term groanings here where, where it's like you go oh god oh you know that's a prayer oh i don't even know what's going on that's that's groanings groanings now i want you to hear very carefully now groanings seem to indicate, at least to me, some form of distress, maybe anguish. And all we can offer up is... uh, All we can offer up are groans. Can I suggest, sometimes all you can offer up are your tears. That's all you got. And I believe that that has a place of praying in the Holy Spirit. I believe this is very similar to what We mentioned about being prompted by the Lord, but there are times there are groanings and utterings that are just beyond our comprehension. What do you say to this? I mean, there's some people in this room, you have faced circumstances, and they've sat at your doorstep, and you've looked at it, and you go, I don't even even know what to say about this. I don't know what to pray about this. I don't even know what to think about this. Oh, God. Well, you've just interceded. Now, Those are two ways, and then there's the third way. The third way is the one that sometimes can be the most controversial. I don't think it should be all that controversial, and uh, I just decided we hit it on a Sunday morning, so I'll just tackle it, and that is what I call praying out of your inner man. Praying out of your inner man. Jude 20 is one of those verses that you can legitimately point to that directly connects with what Paul mentions In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where he begins to mention what I like to refer to as spiritual language. Now, most of you would know it as tongues. I like to use the term spiritual language because the minute you say tongue, everybody instantly puts up their scuds. And they get these defense mechanisms going, I know where he's going. And it's because of the baggage. You've you've listened to someone teach you something or you just heard something that wasn't even taught to you. And you got your defense mechanisms all up Just just suspend your judgment for a moment and just use the phrase spiritual language. And I believe that spiritual language is one of the things he's referring to here. Out of 1 Corinthians 14, 2, post it, guys. It says this, For he who speaks in a tongue, or spiritual language, does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit. Now notice that Spirit has a little S to it, doesn't it? He speaks in mysteries. Now jump over to verse four. He who speaks in a tongue, it says edifies himself. Now I'm going to stop there for just a minute because I grew up years ago in a church that whenever they read this verse, they used to go CCC. See, see, see. Whenever you talk in tongues, you're just drawing attention to yourself. That's not what that verse means. If that's, if that's what that means, then the second half of it would have to be wrong too, because we're not trying to draw attention to the church. We're trying to draw attention to Jesus, right? That's the whole point. So what does it mean to edify? Edify is a simple word. It's where we get our English word edifice from, which means building. It's the same thing that was mentioned in Jude 20. Go back to that, will you, Jerry, for just a minute. Go back to that passage. It says that when we speak in a tongue it actually builds oneself up or strengthens oneself. He goes on to say, but he who prophesies strengthens the church. Now, there's something to be said here. It's not that one's wrong and one's right. He's saying when you're doing this, you're strengthening yourself. When you're doing this, you're strengthening the church. Now, many people have misunderstood all of this. Edify. Edify means to build, to strengthen. So strengthening the church, would you agree with me? That would be a good thing, right? We want to strengthen the church in the things of the Lord. The church ought to be strong. It ought to be healthy. It ought to be be stable. These things are good. It should be good for you to recognize that it would be good for you to be strong. It would be good for you to be stable. It would be good for you to be healthy, spiritually speaking as well. To be built up, Jude says, on your most holy faith. And truth be told, if we're living in challenging days... And if the days we are living in is full of error, just like it was in these days, if the days we are living in is full of challenge to our life and our lifestyle and our value systems, if it's, if it's a challenge just to be able to speak the name of Jesus or God Himself, then we should understand that we're going to have to learn what it means as a people to build ourselves up and be strengthened in our faith in order to not just survive the days... But to thrive in these days. I'm, I don't want to just survive. I'm ready. I'm ready to go on and be blessed. I'm not looking just to break even. I'm ready to win. How about you? Do you just want to break even or do you want to be a conqueror? Do you want to break even or do you want to be triumphant? Do you want to break even or do you want to be victorious? I want what the book says and it says that I can Be a conqueror. I can triumph in all things. I'm victorious in him. That's what the book says. And if the book says it, I believe it. And I want that to happen in my life. And so if the culture's trying to take me out, then how am I going to stay on top? Jude's telling him right here. He's saying one of the ways it's going to happen is when you learn to pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray out of your inner man. Now, how does this work? I'm going to give you a quick review here. Everybody don't zone out on me. Just focus in. All right. We're going to teach here just a little bit. So zero in. Our God is triune. Our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We are orthodox. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Triune. The Bible says that you and I were created in His image. Which means you and I, therefore, are triune. We are body, soul, and spirit. Little s. Body, soul, and spirit. Not capital S. Capital S is Holy Spirit. Small s is the human, inner man, spirit. All right? Follow me? Your body. What's your body? Your body is basically defined by your senses, your five senses. It's your touch, smell, sight, hear, taste. All those things, my senses control my body. Amen? Come on now, be honest. Your body's controlled every day by what you see, what you hear, what you smell, what you taste, and what you feel. We're controlled by these things. That's our body. Our soul. Well, you say, well, what's the soul? Well, the Bible tells us, if I could go through all the passages, I could prove very quickly that the soul is your mind. That's where your mind resides. It's where your emotions reside. And it's where your decision-making center is or your will. So it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's your soul. Now, now here's the key. The soul, I, I call the soul a conduit. It a conduits through either what the body tells it to do or what the inner man or the spirit tells it to do. If, if, you, if you live as a natural man or if you live by your senses, what happens is your body or your senses begin to send signals to your soul and you begin to think, you begin to feel, and you begin to make decisions based on your senses. Are you following me? Because that's, that's what you saw, that's what you heard, that's what you tasted or smelled or touched. And we're natural creatures. We, we are impacted in amazing ways every day with the natural. It's a very powerful, impactful happening in our life. And most of us make our decisions, we, we, we get our feelings, and we get our thoughts by what we see and function in the natural. That's never the way God intended for it to be. There's a third aspect of our being, and that's our inner man or the spirit. The spirit is where we find our conscience, our intuition, And our communion. Those are sort of bigger words. It just simply means this. This is the arena. Your inner man is the arena where the Holy Spirit or God Himself begins to work with a human being. If you want to know where God works with you, if you want to know where God resides, if you want to know where He's talking to you, if you want to know where the blessing comes, where insight comes, if you want to understand how He works in you, He doesn't come to your mind, He doesn't come to your feelings, He comes to your spirit. And out of your spirit, out of the inner man, he begins to affect your thoughts. He begins to affect your feelings. And he begins to affect your decision-making capacity. Are you with me? And so there's this giant fight that goes on all the time in all of our lives as to who's in charge. Will our body and our senses be in charge as they're sending signals to our soul? Or will our inner man, our spirit, uh, arise and will it overcome and send signals to our mind our will and our emotions so we make decisions in life like god would want us to make them and it's a constant struggle in most of our lives which is why by the way we have to go to the cross ourselves and be crucified with christ for when we die to ourselves what happens is is the inner man can arise and god can begin to live through us it is no longer i who live but christ Who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith through the Son of God, who died and gave Himself up for me. You're following me. So the Spirit inside of me, this third aspect, it never gets taught on, but it's the part that's the key to your victory because that's where God is at right now. You see, when you were born, you were born in dead in trespass and sin. Right? What was dead? Your spirit. You're dead in trespass and sin. Your inner man was dead. But the Scripture says that the moment you opened up your heart to Jesus Christ, you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart. Faith came to the inner man. You believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead. The resurrection life of God began to flood into the inner man. And the Bible says as Jesus was raised from the dead, so now you've been raised up. Into newness of life. Where did that happen? It happened in the inner man. So now, inside of me, right now, you can't see him because right now, this this outer man's about thirty pounds heavier than he ought to be. I want you to know that inner man is ripped. I want you to know that right now, he is ripped. I can't, see, I can't see your inner man either. <laughs> but that inner man is alive unto God, it says. That's how we can be right now, seated in heavenly places. How could I be seated in heavenly places when I'm standing on a platform? It's not because my natural body isn't seated. My inner man has been seated with him now in heavenly places. That's the limitless aspect of my being, is my inner man. And unfortunately, even in the church, we spend most of our time tinkering around with our body and our soul, never understanding that it's our inner man. That if we could get the inner man up and going and in dominion, have mercy, it would change all, all of life. Now, post Ephesians 3.16 real quick. I've left my notes. Pastor has left his notes. Ephesians 3.16. Listen to what Paul says here. He says that he would grant you. Everybody say that's me. Say that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Where? Where? So something strengthening God wants to do inside of all of us, but He's not strengthening this mortal body. He's not like this mortal body's decaying. He's actually not strengthening my soul because for most of us, our soul is self-consumed, selfish, fallen. But where's He strengthening us? He's strengthening us in the inner man, little s, our spirit portion of our being, that we would be strengthened through His Spirit. That's where His Spirit comes, is my inner man. So how does that strengthening or how does one of the ways, not it's not all the ways, it's just one of the ways strengthening occurs. Jude tells us here, we are strengthened when we pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. And I've taught on this. I've taught on this on Sunday morning. We teach on this at Encounters. I've taught on this on uh, Wednesday nights. I mean, I'll just say guilty. We, We are Pentecostal in our orientation. Now, I realize just by saying Pentecostal, that carries with it baggage. I I don't like labels. I hate labels. You know why I hate labels? It's because a label never fully explains or identifies really what you're all about. I'm, I'm, I'm constricted to using labels to, in just a moment or two, try to explain to people who we are. And you'll try to explain, and they'll go, oh, you're a Pentecostal. Oh, you're a charismatic. Oh, you're crazy. Oh, you got snakes in the back. Oh... And it just, it just I just, I, I hate labels. Someone said, well, how would you describe yourself? Here's what I really am. I am whatever God says I am. I can do whatever he says I can do. And whatever's in the book, I'm for. That's, that's the only way I know how to say it. It's in the book, I'm for it. I'm not trying to get out of anything. I'm not trying to explain anything away. I may not understand it. I may not get it, but I'm for it. All right. So, I, I want to say this clearly, because I, 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 don't, I don't like alienating people. I don't like dividing. I really don't think I have a sectarian spirit. I'll admit there was a day I did have a sectarian spirit. I believe that that's been weeded out of me, and so I'm not. I understand God, there are God-loving, God-fearing people in churches of all shapes, sizes, stripes, labels, fellowships, denominations, and backgrounds. Did you hear that? People can be saved in other churches. I believe that. I I, 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 won't even go there. I won't even joke. It'll, it'll get on the internet and I'll get nailed for it. So, but we consider here, I consider here to be vital, this aspect of beginning to strengthen myself for, and position myself for victorious living. You see, I don't believe that God, not only, well, I do believe, but not only that God heals my body so I can have victory over disease. Not only do I believe that God gives me victory over my poverty, that He wants to prosper my hands. I didn't say that that meant I was going to have a condo at the ocean. And See, the kingdom is not some multi level marketing hoodoo thing. But I do believe God prospers us. I believe that the gospel's victorious. I believe this I believe it's victorious over sin that I don't have to go the way of the world that's killing itself. That I may be in the world, but I don't have to be of the world. And that doesn't mean that I do all those silly things we did growing up. But I'm just here to say, I, I preach a victorious gospel. And so in that, what, 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 what can I begin to declare that builds ourselves up on our most holy faith? In fact, Paul would not only say it builds you up, but he says it's a part of his battle gear. Look at this, uh, Ephesians 6.18. He says, praying always... Now, this is right in the middle of the armor of God. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication, where? In the Spirit. You say, well, they capitalized it there, Pastor. It's because the translators always get in the way. It's not capitalized in the original. I believe he's talking about praying in the inner man, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So he says it's a part of our battle gear, too. Praying in... The spirit, all right? Now, I'm going to clear up with just a couple things while I'm here. I think there are two confusions in most people's mind that need to be cleared up. Aren't you glad you came today and I'm not just giving you the five ways to get along with your neighbor? See, this is the stuff that's going to cause you to prevail in a culture that wants to take you out. So i got to clear up a couple confusions here because it always comes, somebody sends me an email, they always ask. I know many of you know this. It's a review. For some, you might not know this. Hey, we landed here today. I didn't ask for Jude 20 today. We just got here. But there are two confusions. Number one, this is a confusion that needs cleared up. There are two types of spiritual language. Two types of spiritual language. There is the one that you are speaking to God. That's what it said. Post, Can you post 1 Corinthians 14 too? real quick? It says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to who? So there it is. So there's one type where men or women too are speaking to God. That is what we commonly refer to as your prayer language. You are speaking to God. You're praying to God. I've had people come to me, and I'm going to clear this up here in just a minute, and they go, well, why? Everybody's praying in the Spirit, or they're praying in tongues, and it needs to be interpreted. Wait a second. No, it doesn't. God doesn't need an interpreter. You say, well, I know some... We aren't there yet. See, God doesn't need an interpreter. This is His language. And can I just say this? If there's a language in in the countries of the continent of Africa if there's languages in the countries of the continent of Europe and Asia, if there's all sorts of languages that are, uh, that are known to be languages in those particular countries of the world, you, you all realize we're from a country. It's called the kingdom of God. We're from a nation, a royal priesthood. And why is it such a big leap for us to say that there might actually be a language of the kingdom? I mean, do we really think that all God understands is English? Let's get an interpreter then for all them billion Chinese people because God's going to have to get... In. Well, no, God's smart, so he probably... I, 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 listen, listen. God knows more than English. In fact, I, I bet God's more than bilingual. Anybody want to take me on that? bet. I believe he's multilingual. Can I just share this with you? I think... I think if you would break out of your natural mindset and mentality and thinking that it's not a far leap to be able to say if there's another dimension, if there's an eternal realm, if there's another nation called the holy nation, the royal nation, I don't think it's that big of a leap to begin to say, is it beyond? Are we really so presumptuous to think that all God gets are natural languages and there couldn't be another language? Oh, no, no, no. But, but I understand. You know more than God. I got it. But, but here, this is the first type. You speak to God. Now, there's another aspect to it. Post it. But there's also one where God is speaking to people. Now, post that. 1 Corinthians 14, 21. Listen to this in the same passage. It says, in the law it is written. Paul's quoting something here. He says, with men of other tongues and other lips. Listen, God's God's speaking. I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. So what he's quoting here is that there are going to be men that come, he says, that are going to be speaking in a language that you've never heard before. And God says this, you've never heard this language before, but they're going to be speaking a language that you've never heard, but that's going to be me, God says, speaking to you. Now get this, otherwise... The Bible, the Bible will never make sense to you in this area unless you get this. So hear me now. There is a language where you speak to God, and then there's a language that God speaks to you. Two different, two different languages. Now, this is what's referred to as the gift of tongues, and that one does indeed need interpreting. Now, my point this morning is that I'm not going to go through all of 1 Corinthians 14 to untangle all of this. But if you'll just keep that concept in mind, now you'll begin to understand why there are certain verses where Paul seems to say, you ought not do that. And then there are other verses that says, don't forbid anyone to do that. Have you ever noticed that in the Bible? I, I mean, there are these times where Paul says, whoa, 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 it's causing some confusion. Stop, stop, here's the parameters, do it this way. And then there's other times where he says, don't forbid anybody to do it. In fact, I'd do it more than all of you do it. And whenever you hear people argue, they start throwing the verses that seem to okay it and the ones that seem to prohibit it and they're throwing it back and forth at each other and no one ever understands. And so there's mass confusion, but they never understand that there could actually be two forms of it. And here's the form. The form is, when I'm speaking to God, it needs no interpretation because I ain't talking to you. You say, well, I don't understand what's going on. Well, it ain't about you. I'm sorry. I love you. But I'm talking to God right now. Now, now, if, if, if... in service, all of a sudden, in fact, he says this. If someone stands up and just starts talking in tongues and, and there's no interpretation, you'd all just look and go, what in the world is he doing? Now, those two things, those two different ways can sound very similar. You say, well, how, how do you begin to distinguish whether it's a gift of tongues? Because not everybody has the gift of tongues. Can I just say this right now? Paul says, do all have the gift of tongues? And, and his rhetorical answer is no. I have never given a prophetic word in tongues that needed interpretation. Never in my life, I've never done that. You say, "Whoa, whoa, pastor! I heard you praying the other day, and you were down front here, and boy, you were praying." I don't know where that language came from, but it wasn't from here. And whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. I was praying in the spirit to my God, but I've never had the gift of tongues. Now I know, Miss Louise, on occasion, it's been on occasion. God will move upon you, and 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 and. There's an interpretation that will come and all of that's in order. I mean, it's not an every week event. I don't know that it's it's a twice a year event, but and I'm I'm not sitting here trying to make it happen anymore than it just needs to happen. All I'm simply saying is, is, is that we've got to understand that when we're when we're singing in the spirit or when we're praying in the spirit, even as a congregation, people go, well, it's just anarchy because everybody's speaking in tongues and I don't get it. It's because we're not talking to you. we love you. We're glad you're here. But this is about us and God right now. And you say, well, how do you begin to tell the difference? How do you discern the difference? Whether it needs an interpretation or it doesn't need an interpretation. Oh, post it. Paul will tell us. He says, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them Listen to this, things that eyes have not seen nor have ears heard. So he prefaced it all by saying, you're going to see some things you've never seen. And you may hear some things you've never heard. So what is, how, how, how does all this work? Listen, he has revealed them to us, how? Through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, just the deep things of God. Next verse. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? In other words, you can't know anything except by the inner man. He says, when we start talking about spiritual things, you know, here's the sad part. I can preach in English for 45 minutes and there's some people who even in English won't get it. I I might as well have preached in tongues. Because they ain't ain't getting it. Even it, It just went... And I was in English the whole time. It just went... Right over their head. Why is that? Why is it that you can... You can teach and preach, and you think, man, I'm connecting the dots. Some of you have shared with people on the phone before. Some of you had small groups. Some of you have been in in settings where you've been around a coffee table and you shared something, and you're saying to yourself, man, I am really connecting the dots in their life. And when it's all done, they get up from the table, and it's as if they didn't hear a word you said, even though it was in English. Well, why is that? See, you're all worried about tongues. Sometimes I I, I just, I want to get people in English again. But this is what it is. It says, because you can't, there's some things you can't know unless you know it by the inner man. I, I, I mean, I don't care how smart you are. I went to school with professors that had multiple PhDs behind their name. And they were as dumb as a rock when it came to the things of the spirit. Oh yeah, they knew Hebrew, they knew Greek, they knew they 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 do textual criticism, historical criticism. They understood all the criticisms. They taught class and they were dumb as a rock when it came to the things of the spirit. What what had they done? They had allowed their natural mind to become the part place of dominion over their soul. So everything had to be logical, it had to be rational, it had to be Reasonable. If it doesn't make sense to me, it must not be God. Oh God. When did you become the center of the universe? When, when, did it, when, when, when did we start revolving around what you thought? That's why the inner man. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except what? The spirit of God. Next one. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So we've re- where's the spirit of God reside? Where? Where inside? In the inner man, in, in our spirit. That's where God... So we've received the spirit who's from God that we might what? Know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Next verse. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches... But which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Last verse. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. I've heard people go out and go, that's silly. That, that tongue stuff is just silly. Listen, it's it, what you've just identified where you're functioning. You've identified that, that you're a natural man and you're not a spiritual man. Because it will be foolishness. God, God puts all sorts of foolishness in the faith and the reason He does that is so that we, because we look foolish and we're weak, all of a sudden become usable to Him. So two types of spiritual language. Are you kind of understanding that? One which you speak to God and the other that God speaks to us i people say, how do you know which one's which? It's discerned. I'm not, I'm not picking on Miss Louise. I'm just using her as an example because the folks in our congregation know Miss Louise and they know she's a spiritual woman and she's an intercessor and she's been faithful and has the character quality. So I could, I could give Miss Louise accolades this morning. But truth be told, there could be a time when, when if that happens, that as a pastor, I might say, you know, in that moment, I'll say, you know, this is one time we'll rejoice with Miss Louise that she was praising God and we're just all going to praise God together. Because that may not have been a public tongue. Now, that's never happened. She's always been on target. I'm just saying that could happen. I, I had an incident. I remember one time here, and, and, the, and the person got all wound up, and they started praying in tongues, and I waited for a moment. And then again, I began to discern that wasn't a public tongue. That was his praise language, his prayer language. I said, well, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? What do you think I do? Well, let's give God Praise. I mean, there wasn't some harm done. I mean, are you harmed because he prayed to God? Are you harmed because you didn't get it? (laughs) Like I said, you probably been through a few messages you didn't get and it didn't cause that much consternation. Number two, you can choose whether or not to use it. This is the other confusion I just want to clear up. You can choose whether or not to use it. There's this great misunderstanding that God somehow commandeers our vocal cords and forces us to do something that, you know, if, that, that's just out of our control. I've heard people say, well, if he wants me to have it, just, he'll just lay it on me. Well, that, not exactly. It's just, it's just like God is able, but you must do. The, Acts chapter 2 says they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So the Spirit gave utterance, but they had to speak. So you have to at least cooperate with what's going on inside of you at that particular moment. Now, look what Paul said. Let's just go back to that chapter. It's interesting. He says, what is the conclusion then? He says, I will. Everybody see that? You know what I will means? That means I will. I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will... Also sing with the understanding. What Paul's saying here is is that there are times I'm going to do this and there are times I'm going to do this and I'm going to ostensibly get to choose when those moments are. You see, I can choose. I can choose whether I want to walk in the flesh or I can choose whether I walk in the Spirit. I can choose whether I want to pray in English and yes, I can choose whether or not I want to pray in the Spirit. I become comfortable with that aspect of the inner man in my life. Many people say, I feel funny when I do that. The reason you feel funny is because you've never allowed the inner man to exercise dominion in your life. You've only allowed your senses to exercise dominion. But Jude says, I'm going back to it. He says, that's why he looks at the early church and he says, build yourselves up. This is how you build yourselves up. How do you strengthen yourself? I strengthen myself when my inner man arises that contains the limitlessness of God himself residing inside of me. When my inner man arises, I am strengthened in this life, here and now, to walk in faith, to believe God for great things, to trust Him when I'm doing my faith walk, to believe Him for great and mighty things. I need to strengthen myself. He says, build yourselves up. This is something you can do. Hey, guilty. There are times when I'm pastoring, I don't know what to do. I pray in the Spirit. I just pray in the Spirit. I don't know what to say about that. Hallelujah. And then I just start praying in the spirit. Say, how does that work? Just like this. You say, what did you say? What did you say? I wasn't talking to you. That needs interpretation. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, it doesn't because it wasn't for you. It's because I'd be comfortable with my inner man. It's the same thing I would do privately in in my office or at home. Sometimes in intercession times. We're speaking to God. It's something I can do. When we're raising our kids and we don't know what to do, pray in the Spirit. When the boss looks like he's going to fire us and everything's turned against us at the workplace, what do I do? You can pray in the Spirit. When everybody's throwing verbal bombs at you and you don't even know why you're getting it. And by the way, yes, you do. It's because the Holy Ghost is in you. And they sense that, and so they're automatically going to go after you. And, and they're thought, what do I do? I pray in the spirit, building myself up in my most holy faith, and in a day where we seem to be moving farther away from the things of the spirit, in the church. I mean, we are living in a day. There was a day that spirit-filled believers in America were the predominant church that was growing. And what happened was is that other churches hijacked our worship, because all they could see in the natural was contemporary music. You understand what went on? See, we were worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We were practicing the worship precepts the scripture tells us to, but other people saw contemporary worship and they saw churches that were growing and and the life of God was there. And so they assumed if they started contemporary music, that they would get the same outcomes, And so they played contemporary music and they had the same sort of style and they did everything, but they didn't want that spirit stuff. And so the spirit stuff started getting tucked away in another place or not even allowed to happen at all. And then unfortunately our circles began to see those churches begin to blossom and bloom. And we figured, well, they're putting the Holy Spirit on Wednesday night or they're not even letting the Spirit of God move at all. So we'll just pick up on that theme because the most important thing of all, you know, is fill the seats. And if we let the Spirit of God just sort of have His way, it might alienate somebody. Not realizing that the same spirit that might alienate a few is the same spirit that will draw those who he's speaking to to himself. But not us. We don't want to talk about it. Why? Why talk about this stuff? It just, people get confused. People this, people that. Listen, there are more heresies today out there than I have seen in my lifetime. There is error, there's lack of character. There's just a general lack of, of the American church prospering. I want to tell you why. It's because we have lost the ability uh, to flow and, and, and pray in the Spirit. There are more Pentecostal Christians globally than any other brand except Catholic. The most notable ones, unfortunately, are in foreign nations. They're in revival. You go to a third world country, they're in revival, but you come to America, and we're, we're too worried about how you get a crowd. And so what have we done? We've demeaned the things of the Spirit. And because we've demeaned the things of the Spirit, we are weakening as a church. There's little authority anymore. Here's the answer. It's time to unashamedly say, yes, I love the Lord. And yes, I believe in the things of the Spirit. Listen, Gideon proved that you can do more with 300 than you could 30,000. 30,000 couldn't have won the battle. His 300 did. We need to begin to understand that you'll do more. Just you, God, working through you in a powerful way is more important than you just having numbers. We need to understand in America, if we're going to turn America around, I'm not sure we're going to ever get the majority of people to think exactly the way we do. But I can tell you this. You get spirit-filled believers who will intercede before the throne of God for their nation, that they will pray in the Spirit and they will cry out to God with groanings and utterings. And they will lift it up before the throne of God. We don't need a majority. It's been a vocal, passionate minority can change a lot of things. Yes, it can. And it's time to put our timidity away. I didn't check my brain out at the door. Now, I, I mean, I, I, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I'm not the dullest one either. And we don't have to check our brains out at the door. But what we do have to check into is the statement, I want all God has for me. I want everything God has. Lord, I may not get it right now. I may not understand it. I may not even be flowing in it or walking in it like I need to. But this much I'm going to tell you. If it's in there, I want it. And I want to remind everybody this. That it was the tongue talkers that took Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. Welcome to Sunday morning at Legacy Church. I'm not not waiting for you to trip into Wednesday night, you know, five, six years from now, figure this out. And we are after it. We are after it. Say, well, I don't know that I'm there. Okay, take the journey. I believe you'll get there. I'm No one's leveraging, pressuring, pushing. I'm just saying, do you want everything God has? Can you say that? I want everything, Lord, you've got for me. I want everything you've got. I'm not going to make it. The early church couldn't make it unless they got everything. How do we expect to make it? Unless we've got everything you've got. Would you stand with me, please?